morning, new community family. It's a joy to be with you, as always. Uh, thank you, Minister Tim, for the invitation. Uh, thank you, congregation, for your warm welcome. My wife is with me today as we were driving up here. I said to her, this is unusual. I'm, I'm often in other churches on Sunday, and she has responsibilities at New Community Bronzeville, so usually we're going our separate ways. And she goes, no, no, I want to be at New Community Logan Square this morning. And uh, we have a friend with us as well. We're delighted that uh, Michelle is with us this morning. Uh, I just want to give a word of thanks to the Pastoral Search Committee. Um, as I... Uh, As, as I journeyed together with the members of that team over a multi-month uh, process, I, I just came to appreciate so much their thoughtfulness, their prayerfulness, their, their thoroughness. Uh, your, your chair of the search committee um, would apologize to me when she called me on a weekly basis. And, and I said, no, 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 that's what this is all about. We need to stay in touch with each other. And she didn't want to bother me, but... Believe me, her attention to detail really paid off during this. And I am so, I am so thankful to say to you that Pastor Sanders is in the house today. <laughs> I will pray for us and we will look at the uh, scripture passage this morning. God, we are Grateful to be able to gather here this morning. We acknowledge your presence here with us. You've heard our worship. You've listened to our praises being lifted to you this morning. And now we come to you expecting that you will speak to us from your word. Your word is truth. So God, this morning, would you show us your ways? Would you teach us your paths? Would you guide us in your truth? Because you are God, our Savior. And our hope is in you all day long. Amen. Um, this morning we're going to be in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And you have been in this little mini-series uh, called Reset, Refresh, and Refocus. And every one of those three words demands action. It demands change. And this morning as we look at this passage, which uh, many of us are very familiar with, called the Jesus Feeding of the 5,000, um, I would hope we could look at it with new and fresh eyes and uh, go away this morning with some real practical takeaways from this particular passage of Scripture. So I'm going to read for us uh, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each of us to have a bite. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. 
But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the signs Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And as a parallel passage, I want to read two verses from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, where he records the same situation. Mark 6, 35. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. This is the word of the Lord for us today. So I'm going to pull a, a play out of Minister Tim's playbook here and just walk us through this passage step by step this morning to get the context of what is going on here, and then we're going to look at some application points uh, at the end. So immediately we find out in verses 1 and 2 of the, the Gospel of John account here that there is a great crowd that is following Jesus. Uh, we're told that it is the Jewish festival of Passover that's happening, and what, what happens with these three great festivals of the Jewish people is, is lots and lots, hundreds if not thousands of pilgrims would be coming to celebrate together. A lot of people are traveling, they're on the road, they're camping out, and a lot of the people that are following Jesus here had, had watched him doing some healing, they'd heard about it, and they were attracted to Jesus, so this great crowd that John will later quantify by saying had 5,000 men, and we can only interpolate how many the total group was, was following Jesus. We're told that they are out in the wilderness, okay? They're not, the, they're not at the edge of a big city. They're, they're literally out away from civilization. They're out in the wilderness. We're told the time of day is late. The sun is going down. It's starting to get dark. And we find out that these people are hungry, that they don't have the food that they need to nourish themselves at the end of the day. Now, for any of us who have ever been in any way connected to the relief and development community, we know that they actually have a word for situations like this, a phrase, and it's called a complex humanitarian emergency. And basically what it means is there's people who don't have the food they need, they don't have the shelter, they don't have the safety that they need, and, and some outside force needs to come in and supply for these people in a complex humanitarian emergency. In verse 3, we see Jesus' response to this complex humanitarian emergency. Scripture says he sat down and had his disciples do the same. 
In the following verses, we see some options that are explored by Jesus and his disciples as they're sitting down together. This one follower of Jesus named Philip, he lets everybody know that there's not near enough money that we have here to buy food for all these people. Uh, Another of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, comes forward and, and, and he says, well, there's a little bit of food that we've got here, and he makes it clear to everybody that it's not very much. He says a, a, a small boy has a small amount of small loaves and a smaller amount of small fish, so certainly that's not enough to feed this crowd. And then in the Mark passage, we read that a couple of unnamed disciples come forward and say, we need to send the people away, Jesus. Just make the announcement. Tell them the, 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 the party's over. You guys need to go off and find yourself some food to eat and some shelter. Three different options that come to the table. And now Jesus, in verse 10, introduces a fourth option that nobody else had thought of. His option seems a bit counterintuitive, but Jesus said, have the people sit down. Jesus says nothing about getting to work. He says nothing about taking up a collection. He says nothing about reprimanding the people for being so foolish as to come out here with no food to eat. He says, tell the people to sit down. And then in verse 11, we are told that Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. The food was actually delivered to the people. They had to do nothing to receive this food. They were told to stand, to sit down. They didn't have to work for the food. They didn't have to pay for the food. They didn't have to harvest. They didn't have to stand in line. And John makes it clear to us that nobody left hungry. In verse 11, they had as much as they wanted. In verse 12, they all had enough to eat. And to prove that, there's 12 baskets of leftovers. Any of you who Host and hostess know if there's some leftovers after the meal, then you know everybody got enough. If every dish is empty, then you wonder if you should have fixed more food. There was plenty of food. The passage then closes with these well-fed people deciding that Jesus was going to be their king because they liked the way he provided for them. And Jesus then, we're told, slips away further up the mountain and this is my holy imagination here, most likely to go and sit down and spend time with the Father, as was his practice. Familiar passage for most of us today. How can we apply this passage to our lives? Well, new community, many of you have been around long enough to realize that the needs and the demands of church ministry can be endless. Many of you in this room can verify that, as somebody already has. (laughs) Serving in the kingdom of God is work, but it's good work. It's life-transforming 
work. It's gratifying work. It's necessary work. But at times, it feels like a complex humanitarian emergency. I just want to point out to you this morning three words in this passage, three single words. Now, if you're a note taker, you can write these down, but I'm pretty sure you can remember them. The three words are sit, listen, and pray. Sit, listen, and pray. Let's start with the word sit. Jesus' first response to this complex humanitarian emergency was to stop and sit down. Now you have to realize that in that day, to sit down meant something very different than today for us. Because most of us sit down all day long and do our work, and we produce even though we're sitting down. In that particular context, in that day and age, sitting down meant no productivity. It was very passive. You could be accused of being lazy if you sat down sat down. And we tend to put a priority on busyness. Listen to how you answer people when they say, how'd your week go? It's really full. It's really busy. It's long days. But this was not Jesus' posture. Jesus' posture of sitting down reveals something very important to us. And that is that At the foundational level, this work that we're involved in, what was going on on the hillside that particular day, is God's work. And and you, New Community Family, are merely invited to join in with what God is doing. But if any of us are running at full speed, seven days a week, week after week, month in and month out, We will never realize the benefits that God has for us when we just stop and sit down. Now, what might that look like? What could that look like for us? Well, God gave his people a vivid example of this several centuries before when his people, the Israelites, came out of captivity in a foreign land where they had been slaves and worked seven days a week their entire lives. God gave his people a gift, and he called it the Sabbath. And he said, I want you to stop working one day a week, because when you were slaves in Egypt, you had no choice. But I'm giving you a gift, he said, of one day a week of Sabbath. I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. You'll be okay. You're not going hungry. And this shows up in what we call the Ten Commandments, which we see in the book of Exodus and in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, where we're told that God worked for six days and rested on the seventh day, and that the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So taking a Sabbath isn't really just about me. It's also about me honoring God and trusting and believing that God will take care of me. Now, some of you may be thinking today, and I completely understand this, that a weekly Sabbath makes about about as much sense as sitting down in the midst of a complex humanitarian emergency. Conventional wisdom says you want to produce more, you got to work more, you got to work longer hours, you got to work later in the day if you want to 
produce more. But following God's provision of a biblical Sabbath on a regular basis is actually an act of faith on our part. It's us saying, we believe, God, that you're still going to care for us. Can we believe that God can accomplish a week's worth of work from us if we only work six days a week? I was on the prayer team one Sunday at the front of the service during the, follow, during the, the, the closing worship time, and a woman came forward. It was a large church. I didn't know everybody in the church. I didn't recognize her. She came forward, and I could just tell by the look on her face and, and, and just kind of her body language that she was tense and she was uneasy. And the pastor had just finished preaching an entire sermon on Sabbath and encouraging us to be practicing a Sabbath. It's a gift that God has given to us. And she came up to me, and, and she said, I have two small children at home. I work full-time. My husband works full-time. We're barely making ends meet. There is no way that I can take a weekly Sabbath. Now, she was thinking in terms of a 24-hour Sabbath. Now, I broke the rules that Sunday of being on the prayer team. And for those of you who are on the prayer team here, you know what I'm talking about here. Your job is to listen to people and to pray for them. I listened to her, but before I prayed for her, I put in a little parenthesis there. And I hope God can forgive me. Because I said to her, do you think it would be possible if you talk to your husband about arranging a time on the weekend where he'd watch the kids and you could have two hours to yourself. You go out for a walk, you could go for coffee, you could do whatever is meaningful for you. You get two hours Sabbath. And she looked up at me and she said, would that be okay? And I looked back at her and I said, that would be a great starting point. And I prayed for her and she walked back to her seat and her shoulders were down and her head was held high and she had some hope that, oh, I could start with a two-hour Sabbath once a week and see where God takes that. Start where you can and then watch what God does with that. Now, I didn't realize that your new pastor was going to be here today, but I'm going to say this anyways. <laughs> if you want to give a real gift to your pastor and, and don't do this in a prideful or bragging way, but let him know if you're practicing a Sabbath. Let, let him know, just in a conversation or something, or he says, hey, can we meet up on such and such a day for coffee? Well, I can't, Pastor. That's the, time, that's the morning I take for a Sabbath. That will encourage him to no end. And when you find out when he's taking his weekly Sabbath, honor it. Leave him alone. Don't text him. Don't call him during that particular time. Jesus is not teaching about the Sabbath in this passage today, but Jesus is giving us an example of sitting down when it's completely counterintuitive and letting God do what God wants to do. So the first word is sit. The second word is listen. Listen. Jesus listens to at least three solutions to this hunger problem that is in front of them that day. 
He listens to Philip as Philip gives some data on how much money would be needed to give everyone just a bite. He listens to Andrew while he gives a report on the existing resources that we have with us and how meager they are. He listens to some unnamed disciples when they say, let's just send these people away. Let's, let's, let's not worry about them. We'll send them off and they can take care of themselves. Now, did Jesus need to listen to those three ideas that his disciples put forward that day? I would say the answer is no. Jesus knew what was going to happen there. But for their sakes, he listened to them. He, he honored and respected the fact that they were trying to figure out a solution here to feed these people. And again, Jesus is not teaching here about listening, but he's setting an example. And I believe the example is for us as well as he was setting an example for his disciples. You see, church, much of what happens inside the church and outside of the church involves listening. And sometimes we're just too busy to slow down and listen to somebody else. Christian psychologist and author Larry Crabb has stated in one of his books that if the church took seriously our responsibilities to listen to one another, that 80% of Christian therapists would be out of business. 80% of us don't need somebody to fix us. We just need someone to listen to us. And God bless you therapists that are here in the congregation because 20% of us need you. We really do. But the other 80%, we should be ministering to ourselves in the body of Christ when we slow down enough to listen to somebody else. Uh, my friend Brian reached out to me, and he said, hey, can we meet up for lunch? Said, yeah, so we put a time on the calendar, and we met in a restaurant, and we ordered our food, and it was hot, and it was delicious, and it came in front of us, and I enjoyed eating the food while for a full hour, Brian didn't take a single bite of his food. He just talked for a full hour, and he talked about his, his, his failed relationship is in. He talked about his relationship to his parents. He talked about his job situation. And in about 45 minutes, I started thinking, he's going to want a response from me when he finally comes up for air. And, and, and I don't have a response for him. I, I, I don't know what to say. And I was like shooting these prayers up. God, what do I say to Brian? And at about the one hour point, he actually picked up his fork and he started eating his, his cold food. And I believe it was the Holy Spirit because I just looked across the table and I said, Brian, how do you feel after sharing all that with me? And he said, oh, pastor, I feel so much better. I gave him nothing. I gave no answers, no responses, but I gave him a chunk of time, and he knew that he was listened to. And as he spoke the words to me, he was hearing those words, and God was working in that whole dynamic right there to where he ended the meal with a big smile and a cold plate of food on front of him. We just need to slow down enough to listen to one another. Sit and listen. New community family, who could you bless by just listening to them, just giving them the gift of some time to verbalize what's going on 
on the inside. Sit and listen both appear to be quite passive, and in some ways they are, but they're both very, very powerful. The last word is pray. Sit, listen, pray. We're told in verse 11 of the John passage that before the food distribution, Jesus publicly offers a prayer of thanksgiving for the food that they are about to eat. And I believe that this prayer that Jesus prayed in front of the people, I picture him holding these little loaves of bread up and looking heavenward and thanking God for this. I believe there were two things that were going on there. The one was obvious, gratitude for God, to God for what he was about to do for these people. But the other aspect of this prayer was the fact that Jesus prayed it out loud publicly so people could hear him. He could have prayed silently and thanked his father for what he was about to do. But Jesus prayed publicly so that the people would understand that there was a loving God in heaven who was about to shower them beyond their regular needs. Jesus is not teaching about prayer in this passage, but he's leaving an example of prayer in this passage. Church, when we pray in somebody else's presence, whether we're asking God for what is needed or thanking God for what he has already provided or just acknowledging that he's present and that he is God and that we are not, whenever we pray out loud in somebody's presence like that, we're making a statement that our dependence is on our God, not on our own wisdom not in our own ability to produce. We're trusting God for what is needed. Prayer is not an add-on at the end of a meeting. Prayer is not a, a starting point for a meal, but prayer is an integral part in the life of the community of God, and it's an acknowledgement of our faith in God. Two weeks ago, I was at a conference, a thousand or so people there, and I saw a man that I, I know his wife has just finished her second round of chemo in her second breast cancer event that she's experienced in the last 25 years. And so I, I asked him, how's, how's she doing? And he gave me an update on it. It wasn't very positive. And he, I could tell he was, he was in a a kind of tense situation because she was at home sick while he was at this conference and he wanted to be there, but he wanted to be with his wife too who was running 103 degree fever that day, but he had some good people that were there watching over her. So he, she, he didn't have to be there, but, but, but he was divided in this whole situation. So I listened to him and, and then we both had a direction to head to and he said, hey, if you think about it, you know, say a prayer for my wife. And I confess to you today, church, that nine times out of a ten when I'm in a situation like that, within five minutes I've forgotten about it, and I, and I don't follow through and pray for that. And I'm, I'm trying very hard to not get in those situations. So, so rather than say to him, okay, man, I'll, I'll be praying for her, I just put my hand on his shoulder. And there were people walking all around us and crowds, and it was noisy and everything like that, but I got close enough to where he could hear me. And I said a short prayer for his wife and for him. And, and when we finished, 
he just said, thank you for being a friend. And we both went our separate ways. Praying for somebody else out loud, verbalizing it, is powerful. It's powerful. And God will use that. So church, as you look at these three words today, the word sit, can you believe that God can and will accomplish his purposes without you working seven days a week? If you slow down enough, if you stop and you just listen to God, you might hear something from him. And then listen, listen. One of the greatest gifts you can give each other is to take the time to listen to each other. You don't have to have answers. Most people don't want you to fix them. But they do need to be listened to. And finally, pray. Because when we pray, we acknowledge that God is the one who has never failed us and will generously provide for all that we need. Church, is there not one or more of the things on this list of three words that apply to you today? Is, is there one of these that the Spirit is saying, hey, here's where you need to give a little bit of attention here? God is inviting you to sit, to listen, and to pray. And I trust that we can all say yes to that invitation. Let me pray for us.